all this paint is paint that has been discarded or mistints. So I'm recontextualizing the materials kind of like through my collection and intervention and kind of salvaging and molding these layers of paints kind of into these newfound forms. And these stratifications expose kind of like the remnants and the foundations of their previous lives. Like basically all these paints have had a past story. They were meant for something else. Maybe it was someone's living room. Maybe it was someone's bedroom. You know, we don't know. But I reformulate the discarded and mistint paints into kind of a visual record of cultural history, kind of like through my material transformations. And that's by like pouring the numerous layers to create like these strata-like forms that mimic natural sedimentation. And like the new relationship of each color layer is exposed through the excavation, which is me using like the sawzall to remove things. And it creates almost like a cultural snapshot that examines kind of the development of our society through patterns of culture and identity shedding. So these reconstructed objects kind of focus on abandoned materials and really critique the excessive waste of our contemporary consumerist like ideology in a sense. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 279th episode, I'm excited to be joined by Todd Jones, who I spoke with all about his studio practice, utilizing a lot of discarded paint in multiple ways, multiple processes. There are works that lean towards painting, sculpture, installation, and we talk about the way that he excavates them, carves into them to kind of reveal these layers of these different paint and these different forms. And again, they kind of all explore this idea of consumer culture, waste. And again, it's a super exciting interview, so stay tuned for that. As you know, we do have work on our Studio Break website, but you can also find a link there for Todd's website and check out his work there as well. That's taahd.com. And of course, be sure to follow him at taahd on Instagram. I do want to note that Todd was selected as one of our 2021 Studio Break Student Competition winners by a juror, Kendra Balgren. So very excited to feature him on this episode. And of course, while it's fresh in the mind, I do want to note to any students listening, we're currently accepting applications for our 2022 Cedar Break Student Competition winner. That's going to be open to all currently enrolled or recently graduated undergraduate or graduate BA, BFA, or MA, MFA candidates. The application process is super easy. You just submit a small fee, you send an email with all of your information, and you are done. I'm excited to be juring once again this year, so I'll be select five undergraduate, five graduate students to be featured on the podcast, and I just decided we're going to have a two-person show curated from this group. So again, two artists will be selected for a two-person exhibition at the upcoming Studio Break Alt Space that'll be opening up this year, so very excited to offer this opportunity. To find out more, just head on over to studiobreak.com, look for the competition tab and all the information is there super easy to apply and of course please help spread the word about this competition if it's been a while since you visited studiobreak.com i do want to remind you to check it out again got a lot of interviews up there integrated into a new website with my own work so you can check it out studiobreak.com and go through all those archives again year by year 12 seasons so plenty of stuff to listen to while you're working away in the studio You can, of course, subscribe on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, be sure to follow us in social media. Please like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter, at Studio Break. And, of course, be sure to say hello, especially if you enjoyed today's episode, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with those announcements, let's get right into this interview with Todd Jones. Stay tuned. Welcome. 
Welcome to Studio Break. Todd Jones, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Great to have you on. Of course, you were selected as one of our MFA competition winners last year by super excited to you know feature you and, and to talk to you all about your work so very excited to chat with you today yes and thank you glad to be here awesome awesome so again remind us of where here is you're in ohio correct yes i am currently in athens ohio i am an mfa candidate in painting plus drawing at ohio university here and i'm also working on a visual arts management certificate um, and I actually graduate this Friday, so it's kind of nice. coming to an end here. <laughs> yeah, interesting timing, right? So, well, very cool. And are you from that that area, Ohio? Are you a Midwesterner or, or? No, I'm actually from the South. Okay, I am from Tallahassee, Florida. I've lived there all my life, and I even went to get my bachelor's degree there at Florida State University, and I double majored in studio art and psychology. So I did my undergrad in Florida, and then I eventually made my way up to Columbus and lived in Columbus for about two years before then coming to graduate school. Very cool. And were you always kind of somebody that was kind of drawn to making things and kind of doing stuff with your hands and and probably getting into some trouble uh, wrecking all your parents' stuff or... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that just describes me. Sure. <laughs> yeah. My dad works in landscaping and has always worked in kind of this construction area of work. Mm-hmm. So I was always kind of gravitated towards using power tools or just kind of working with my hands. And I just have, you know, vivid memories of growing up, like going to work with him and helping him out with things and just helping around the house with certain, you know, home improvement projects and DIY things. So I kind of became interested in kind of making. And I think that's why a lot of my work now comes from like using construction-based materials because it's stuff that I'm familiar with and just very interested in as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if maybe there was uh, some history working for a Menards, a Home Depot, or maybe even a local Ace Hardware or something, <laughs> watching, watching these people coming in and, and kind of returning a old paint or paint that they didn't like. It's kind of fun with that because I started realizing like all this old paint during kind of the pandemic. Um, When COVID started happening, I would go to like, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot and I would see that there was an influx of kind of these mist tint house paints. Mm -hmm. And during the pandemic is what opened my eyes to these paints and seeing how much of them were just, you know, out there and just being on shelves. And I wondered basically like where those would go, would they be discarded, would they be thrown out? So Mm -hmm. then that's when my interest kind of came to that certain material was through the pandemic. Very interesting. So in terms of kind of like pursuing art when you were younger, was that something that you were kind of interested in? I know that you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of um, working with your hands, landscaping and things like that, construction materials, but was that something that was on the radar to kind of like draw or sculpt or, or anything like that, you know, like in terms of schooling or? Well, in school, I didn't really take an art class. I mean, of course, in elementary school, you know, you have that art class that you take, Mm -hmm. like everyone does. But I didn't get really, really into art until I think towards the end of middle school, Okay, going into high school. But I started really enjoying more of like the digital art things like graphic design and things like that. And I started taking like graphic design classes and design based courses at my high school. And then from there, it kind of let me enter the world of kind of art and things like that. And then I started drawing and painting. So I feel like it kind of came to me maybe a little later Mm -hmm. um, than most people, but I would say around high school. And one thing I kind of grew up, my mom always would draw and paint. Um, 
she would do it when I was younger. She didn't do it so much as I got older, but I kind of always was around her drawing and painting and being creative. Mm-hmm. She would always help me do my projects and we'd always have the really creative projects and I have vivid memories of those times. So I was kind of always surrounded by art, but I think it wasn't until maybe eighth grade, ninth grade years when I really started to get into it. And was it then all mostly like kind of traditional 2D kind of approaches or were there other things? Again, I've I've talked to artists that have had like hot shops and, you know, mm-hmm. all sorts of interesting uh, experiences with art, you know, in terms of it's so different out there, all those different programs and different things that you kind of wind yeah. up using, especially like now, I would imagine, I don't know how many classes probably have like 3D printers and, you know, who knows what, but were, were there yeah. any things like kind of in particular? Yeah. So in my classes, it was a digital design class is what I took and it was all graphic design and we we're using pretty much Adobe software like Photoshop, Illustrator. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of 3D rendering. Um, and those are the kinds of things that got me really into art, I feel like. Um, and then I started getting into drawing on the computer with a tablet um, and doing illustrative work. And then I started really getting into photography. And I feel like photography was when it started to be like, okay, I want to start doing more, you know, fine artwork or just, you know, not just product photography, but doing some, you know, photo shoots and doing some fun things out in nature. Mm -hmm. So that's when I got a camera and I started kind of working creatively in that sense. And then use that with my graphic design classes too, to kind of do photography and graphic design. And then I started drawing and painting kind of around that same time. And then I remember having a great art teacher at my high school that was very supportive and was always like, hey, like, you really liked doing this digital software. Like, what if you got into photography or what if you got into screen printing? Like, what if you printed this stuff? And she was very supportive. So I kind of just went everywhere. It's like anything I could get my hands on in any medium I could do, I kind of just ran with. And then I started to fall in love with the creative process and making art. And it was then in high school where I was like, I want to be an artist. I'm going to go be an artist. Yeah. So decisive. You know, usually, usually there's a, an acoustic guitar somewhere in there, you know, that sits in a closet dormant for a couple of years or, (laughs) you know, some other thing. But again, that's really kind of cool to kind of, you know, take it with that, you know, idea of kind of pulling from all these different places to kind of explore different materials and different processes. And, you know, I would imagine again, that kind of, you know, adds to that kind of versatility when it comes to your, your studio practice. Absolutely. I definitely feel like it does. Now I'm very much call myself an interdisciplinary artist. Like Mm -hmm. painting is like my home base, but I like also sculpture, installation, photography, design. So I kind of branch out and do a little bit of everything. And I definitely feel like how I work is kind of how I got into art and how I was always interested in processes. So I I definitely am a process-based artist and very interested in materiality as well. Yeah. And I feel like once you kind of find that world that you're interested in, it's not too much of a jump almost sometimes to kind of switch to a different media or, you know, to learn a new technique or try to learn a new technique and have it not work. And then you kind of keep going after it until eventually it does work, you know? So yeah, very cool. And, you know, to kind of get back to this idea of then kind of choosing, I mean, was it something that in your mind where you're like, okay, I'm going to just like go on to teach or I'm going to go on to, you know, work in a museum and, and, and make work? Or was there kind of like a game plan kind of going in in terms of like design or anything like that when you're kind of like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to go to undergraduate and study? It wasn't as, as thought out or meticulous. I was more <laughs> like, well, let me go be an art major and then kind of figure it out from there. But mm-hmm. one thing that was interesting was that when I was in undergrad, I actually went to community college first and I took my general education classes and I would take some art classes there, but I also kind of fell in love with psychology when I was there. I got really interested in psychology 
and I started taking psych classes. So when I was an undergrad and when I transferred from my community college to my, you know, the university, I decided to double major. So I was also pursuing an art degree, but also a psychology degree. And during that time, I was kind of thinking, I was like, do I want to do art therapy? Maybe Mm -hmm. that was maybe a possibility. But when I was working and finishing up those degrees, I actually had an internship under an art therapist. And it was a wonderful experience, but I realized I was like, maybe this isn't me. Maybe I, maybe I just want to make for myself mm-hmm. and just create. So then from there, an undergrad, I, of course, you know, worked on my thesis, was really interested in kind of conceptual art and pursuing my work and pushing it through experimentational means and processes that then I decided, you know, what if I just go to graduate school and try to figure it out even more and like focus in on my craft that much more. Because I feel like in undergrad, I kind of divided my time between art and psychology. And I feel like I wanted to go to grad school just to focus in on art. And I'm curious, especially, you know, there's usually those kind of like foundation level courses that you take and, and you kind of get like a broad range of things, especially when you're you're pursuing like a BFA degree, you know, you take that wood class and, you know, printmaking and whatnot. Were there any kind of processes that you kind of learned that changed your trajectory a little bit. I say that because I think maybe drawing still lives did not have as uh, big an impact on you, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I would say no, that did not. Um, <laughs> I focused mainly in in the painting mm-hmm. courses. I did take a watercolor course, which I came really interested in watercolor. And then one class I feel like really, really stuck out to me was I took an experimental painting class mm-hmm. with a professor at Florida State. And I feel like that class just like opened the door for me. I mean, you know, basically like I was, you know, I loved working with portraiture and figurative work, but then there was just, for me, there was something missing where I wanted to just explore and just create and combine media. But taking that class, I feel like it opened my eyes to like what painting could be. Like a painting could be so much more than just a painting on, you know, a stretcher bar or on a, a surface. It could be 3D. It could be within the realm. It could be pushing the boundaries into other areas. And that's something that really stuck with me. I mean, that was one of the last courses that I took at Florida State. And I feel like that class in itself, like really stuck with me. And then I loved because we would have to take these critique courses where you would take them with the professor and everyone that was in a BFA, there were two offered a semester. So you'd go and have it with one teacher or another teacher. And I feel like that class also helped because you had you know, sculpture, ceramicists, printmakers, you had everyone in one class just making their work and talking about it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that alone also gave me kind of opened my eyes to like what else there is out there, like the mediums and other people working experimentally and pulling them and pushing them together. So I feel like those courses definitely helped kind of, you know, with my foundation stepping stones to kind of like where I am now, it definitely opened my eyes into what art could be. Yeah. And I think those kind of conversations are always so important because you start you know, trying to look at it from somebody else's perspective with their work, you know, and then what, what of those things kind of resonate with you and what things do you want to discard or go, wow, that doesn't, that doesn't occur to me to be interesting at all. Or, you know, that's not something that I think about, you know, so I, I totally get that, you know, in kind of considering, you know, some of the approaches where you kind of like then doing kind of like more kind of 3d installation based things. Was it still kind of like a very material driven kind of exploration, you know, in terms of like that class and maybe the, the work that would be, you know, leading towards your undergraduate thesis. From there, I feel like I didn't know what I want to really do or pursue, but I was doing a little bit of everything. I feel like my sculptures started to push the boundaries into sculpture, but they were mainly just 
experimentation with kind of different materials, like painting on found materials and having somewhat 3D elements off them, not to the level of where my work is now, but I was starting to do those things. I had an interest in doing installation, but I didn't yet pursue that. I don't know if it was just, I'm sure in undergrad, maybe it was, I was a little overwhelmed trying to figure out because I was more of a traditional based painter. So baby steps was trying to push myself into this experimental realm. Mm-hmm. But my thesis there was actually, it was 2D. I worked with watercolor. And what I did was I combined paper marbling techniques to create these portraits of my family members. And I brought in my psychology degree quite a bit and did some research on psychology of color and what color could mean. And I started associating colors to the personality characteristics of me and my family members. So I had these portraits, five portraits of me and my siblings, my two siblings and my two parents. And you could see in the colored patterns and the marbling, I would try to mimic patterns that maybe resembled their personality, colors from their personality, and basically how those colors could also, you know, those traits we also inherited from our parents. Mm -hmm. So there are a little more abstracted portraits, but that's kind of like what I was doing at the time was experimenting with different processes, experimenting with traditional processes and ways of making, but in experimental ways like paper marbling. So I do these large scale portraits where I'd mask out like, the faces and body parts, and then I'd go back in with watercolor to paint them back in. So they're somewhat abstracted. That was my undergraduate thesis. So that's kind of how it started. And then after undergrad was when I started to really push into sculpture and installation-based paintings, I guess you could say, and making these sculptural paintings and things like that. Well, it seems like that background too of having psychology in there also is going to be something that helps kind of guide that in terms of like research and, you know, maybe kinds of artists that you know, use more conceptual kind of driven idea based kind of work. And I'm kind of curious because obviously we're talking about process. We're talking about, you know, being interested in conceptual things and and things like that. Are there any kind of artists that stand out around this time that you kind of got really into in terms of, you know, pulling from? There were portrait artists that I was looking at, um, trying to figure out ways to make them like psychological portraits. Like I was looking at like Jenny Seville. Mm -hmm. I was looking at Jenny Morgan. And some other portrait-based artists. Some of my big influences in undergrad was even one of my own professors, Carrie Embod. Mm-hmm. And just like looking at all these artists and kind of seeing how they handled portraiture and how they were able to add to like the contemporary way of thinking and processes. You know, I wanted to not just have portraits. I wanted there to be some kind of deep conceptual meeting. So that was kind of where I was going with with those. And those are kind of some of the inspirations that I was looking at at the time. And so tell us, what happened afterwards? Did you... Again, it's too early for NFTs, um, but um, <laughs> but did you did you wind up you know just kind of uh, you know making artwork and, and kind of doing a day job? Did you wind up getting a real job? What what happened afterwards after graduation in 2016? After 2016, I actually did a six months artist residency at in Thomasville, Georgia, at Thomasville Center for the Arts. Oh wow, cool! Yeah, and it was a six months residency where I was basically given a studio. It was an old Coca-Cola factory and it was me and a bunch of artists and we would split the space and they would put us into the school system there and we would teach for like a nine weeks. And basically in exchange, we'd have studio spaces. So I went in and I actually taught eighth grade and then I taught like a high school art class. And it was only like once or twice a week where we would go and do that. It wasn't full time. We had a teacher there that was also supervising, but we'd come in and lead activities with the students. And I did that for about six months. And that residency was great. It was in kind of like the south part of Georgia. Mm-hmm. So it was a nice area. It was actually really close to Tallahassee. So I would actually commute there. 
And one of my good friends from undergrad who actually graduated with me also did the residency with me as well. So it was great to kind of still have connections, still have kind of an arts community and to make work in a different area. So I did that residency for about six months. And then after that, I actually moved to Columbus, Ohio. And it was nice because uh, my dad's side of the family is actually from Ohio. So I was familiar with the Columbus, like Chillicothe kind of Athens area quite a bit, just from visiting, you know, when I was younger. And Columbus always seemed like a cool place. And I knew after graduation and after this residency, I wanted to kind of move away just to see what was more out there. Mm -hmm. And I thought Columbus was a cool town. So I moved to Columbus. And then I actually, when I was there, I got a job teaching at an after school art program. And that's what I did. And I worked there. And that job was probably one of the most rewarding jobs that I've ever had. It was working with lower economic families and students. And it was the after school program. So I would teach art, but I was also a prevention specialist. So basically with that being said, I would also help with, you know, coping strategies, you know, things like that to help give them the skills they need to be better individuals and adolescents and kind of growing up um, and teaching them all these skills. And that was something that I loved because I would teach art and I would work with them really closely. And it ended up developing a lot of close relationships with, with the students there. And actually after that was when I got into grad school. So I actually left from that position and went straight to grad school here in Athens, Ohio. But that being said, this is now, I kind of skipped a little bit. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> I, I started I started grad school in 2019. So I was in Ohio from seven, 2017, excuse me, to 2019 in Columbus. And then in 2019, I actually went to Athens for graduate school at Ohio, Ohio University. Right on. And again, it's super interesting to kind of think about all these different experiences that you've had. You know, it seems to just help exponentially, I think, in terms of all these different approaches, because you've worked with so many different people and, you know, come up with different methodologies and circumstances. And like, I don't know, it's interesting because maybe you go to graduate school and you meet some folks that like a, took the straight arrow approach. There's no kind of variations of things like that. So I would imagine then to kind of get to graduate school, you're, you know, super focused and in terms of you know, continuing the the work that you've been making up until that point. Absolutely. I enjoyed having the break between and not going straight ahead because I was able to kind of obviously like just, you know, explore more. I was able to have different experiences that definitely shaped my artistic practice. I feel like I got a lot of real world experience that I definitely am very grateful for. Another thing that I did during that time is I actually worked at a gallery as well. I was a gallery assistant there and also at um, Wild Goose Creative in Columbus, Ohio. And basically, I would work with them and help install their shows. So I did that during kind of the mornings and then afterwards would go to my job at Directions for Youth and Families, which was where I was the prevention specialist. And from there, that was kind of my days and then did that for those two years and then went on to graduate school. So I feel like I was able to teach, but I was also able to be immersed within the arts community because I was able to work with many artists when installing their shows. I was able to like meet a bunch of the artistic community. So that kind of kept me grounded into the community as well, because I feel like that's one of the hardest things is when you move somewhere different, you know, you need a community to order to like, you know, to work with, you need to a creative, supportive community. And I got that. And I made sure that's what I got when I was in Columbus, because that's what I wanted before I went on, you know, to grad school. Mm -hmm. And I even did some residencies also in between then before grad school too. I, um, went to the Tyler School of Art and did the summer painting and sculpture intensive in 2018, right before I went to grad school. 
And I will say that was also a big eye-opening event where I got to work kind of almost like in a post-bachelorette kind of style Mm -hmm. residency where it was like, all right, we're going to make work and then you can make this work for your grad school portfolios. Like we're going to have like CV, resume, artist statement kind of things where they're going to work, help us, help us write things. We're going to have visiting artists come in. We're going to have field trips and we're going to work with some of the faculty at Tyler. And that was for a month. And I feel like that really helped me get in gear to apply to grad school because immediately after that moment, I was like, okay, I think I want to go to grad school now because it gave me kind of a taste of what grad school would be like. And I feel like that was the next move for me. Yeah. And, you know, again, you kind of talked about some of that interest in kind of working with other artists and and community. And I would imagine just kind of being around so many folks with different backgrounds, different approaches, you could kind of be a sponge to kind of like learn different processes and, you know, kind of absorb some of their skill set to, to think about how that could be applied to your studio practice, I'm assuming. Because again, that's, that's especially how it was for me. You know, you start seeing people make work in ways that you're like, oh, right, I could go in that direction or kind of move away from something that's maybe more traditional, maybe explore some of these other installation-based works or et cetera, kind of build all those skill sets. Absolutely. And I think that what was so great was that program was a painting and sculpture intensive. So like half of the students there were sculptors, the other half were painters. So I feel like that's when I really started to be kind of trying to combine painting into sculpture. And when I was there, I, it's kind of where the, the work that I make now kind of started. I started really working with paint and I was really interested in how to transform paintings into sculptures. And that started off by me pouring paint onto like thick sheets of plastic and letting it dry to make these paint skins that would then peel up and manipulate. And I would make these installations of almost looking like the walls were being peeled up. I'd made these sculptures that mimicked kind of like lichen or fungus kind of growing on like a structure, an undulating form um, and things like that. And that's kind of where everything started with the work that I'm making now and how I was able to push painting into sculpture and even installation. Yeah. And I would especially, you know, kind of direct any listeners, obviously we'll have some of your work up on studio break, but obviously we'll have a link there to your website. It's T A A H D.com. And uh, again, that's Todd Jones. So you could find plenty of archived work there and kind of see some of these earlier pieces, you know, that we're kind of going to highlight and kind of, you know, work into the present. So definitely check that out. I want to ask you, especially, was there like a first piece, maybe that first year or again, it's always such a, a meat grinder that first year, you know, where they kind of tear you down and kind of rebuild you almost. But was there like a piece or work that kind of maybe um, highlighted that? Or was it kind of like a lot of just working with these paint skins and, and trying out different things? Or maybe tell us a little bit about it. So when I first entered graduate school, I continued doing those pieces that I started at Tyler, which I was mimicking the lichen and pretty much rolling these paint skins into small flower forms and kind of putting them on these undulating 3D forms. Those were kind of where I started. But from there, the first thing that I started really interested, that I was really interested in doing was how could I make these pieces that were so time intensive? I would spend, you know, like 200 hours on one small sculpture, rolling paint skins up and attaching them. Mm-hmm. So of course, that was something in grad school where they're like, you know, why don't you make things that are bigger? Why don't you do, you know, you know, make more installation-based things. So I had to try to find ways for me to use materials, but to also make work that's much larger. And basically what I started doing is I started to take from there and I used to explore with spray foam and I used to use spray foam to kind of pour or spray all over these hard cloth on these undulating forms to kind of make these masses that are kind of overtaking the forms. And then I would paint them. 
And it was kind of the same idea I was doing with my rolled up paint skins, but these were just able to get larger and more kind of gross in a sense. <laughs> and I feel like when I started making those works, I really started thinking about consumerism, like consumption, like this foam object overtaking these forms. So I thought of really thinking of consumption in a way. So then I started to think about, you know, human impact on the environment, art, you know, what's happening to like ecosystems and things like that. So I feel like those few pieces that I have were pretty much like opening the door to what I was doing. And I named a lot of these pieces, like one piece, for instance, is Daldinia. And pretty much I would, I, it's a black piece that has black spray foam with the undulating forms all over it. And there's some black paint skins that are kind of in it. And for instance, I named a lot of these pieces after kind of fungus, mm -hmm. thinking about what fungus does, like fungus, you know, it can take over, but it can also decomposes and returns things back into the land to the, you know, the environment. But then I started thinking about like, what happens if this foam you know, it's not a fungus, it's a foam. But what if, what if we lived in a world where these foams or acrylic or plastics would overtake forms and grow out in nature? You know, what if the world got that bad where things that aren't normally growing started to grow? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I started going with that and this idea of consumption and playing around with that. So I feel like that was my first, I guess, significant body of work in graduate school. And it kind of went from there. Well, and it's interesting to see the scale of these too. You included a wonderful studio picture so you can kind of see some of these mm -hmm. more sculptural kind of forms, you know, and you kind of get the scale of them, you know, being pretty, pretty large, I guess, in terms of like human size, right? In, in some ways. Absolutely. But it's interesting to kind of see some of these different, you know, approaches in terms of like incorporating new materials or the chicken wire. So you start to kind of get that kind of side of it in terms of experimenting with materials as well. Is that something that kind of just continue to grow from there? Again, it's interesting because, you know, you think about timing and then the pandemic hits in like 2020. So um, <laughs> was that something that kind of stunted all of this or was that something that allowed you to kind of focus on how you're going to continue these ideas and, and develop it a little bit further? It did help me to like develop these ideas further, I will say, but not so much with those works. I kept the idea with those works, but then I started pushing them. And what happened was during, of course, the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I lived in a tiny apartment <laughs> in Athens. And basically what happened was when the pandemic hit, we were told that we weren't going to have access to our studios anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was in the middle of getting ready to start up for my candidacy review I wanted a place to work. I didn't have anywhere to, you know, to do or anywhere to really to go other than home back to Florida. So I talked to my parents and they're like, well, why don't you come back home and, you know, you can use the spare bedroom as a studio. You know, you have outside. My parents have a bunch of land. They have about 11 acres. So basically I was like, okay, well, what if I can take a bunch of art supplies as much as I could fill up in my car and then go to Florida and kind of ride, you know, lock down, down you know, ride it out and just make work. So when I was home, I actually started to take this idea of consumption, but I started to do a lot more installations. I decided that I wanted to be able to make more installation-based work. So I would go outside and it started off by weaving nets and putting them in kind of in the trees and kind of filling them up with debris around the area. And I became really interested in how like we as humans are taking too much from the environment and the things around. And then I started kind of making paint skins that would mimic kind of once again, like the lichen and fungi, but I'll actually go and install them out in nature. For a short time, they wouldn't be out there for that long, but I would like the idea of documenting it. So I pretty much took my artwork that I was making, but put it out in nature. Mm -hmm. And I was interested to see how seeing them in the natural environment, instead of having them on a studio wall, like 
what was the commentary? What was adding to those, you know, those works and what was it doing? What wasn't it doing? So I really embraced being outside and just kind of making these installations and using more natural material. I would use a lot of like flower clippings and things like that and pour them in resin and talk about, you know, preserve preservation and do a lot of different works involving these more natural materials than what I was doing. And I think that was kind of a component that was missing from my other work was I was using a lot of construction-based materials to talk about natural materials. And I feel like, you know, there wasn't that bridge quite yet. But then when I started putting them out in nature, I was like, okay, this makes sense now. Mm -hmm. And then from here was when I kind of gained, I guess you could say the confidence to actually pursue installation works. I'm like, wow, I did these installations outside. These are great. So then from there, I try to then tie the material more into the natural landscape and things like that. And this kind of was like the beginning of kind of those ideas for my thesis work. Yeah. And again, you know, in a piece like Entanglement, which is maybe one of the ones that that would be worth highlighting, because it kind of literally seems like a giant scaled up version of (laughs) one of those wall pieces before. But then obviously, like you're kind of talking about, the material becomes a little bit more Mm-hmm. landscape-esque or kind of like referring to nature. Mm-hmm. And so I like that kind of quality. Was that also something that became kind of interesting because you can kind of see that that relationship with something that, you know, might be like a consumer product, but then also something that ultimately has like this natural element to it? I did enjoy this piece. This piece is probably one of my favorite installations that I did. I weave this net that is 12 by 22 by 18 feet, which is massive. And basically, I enjoyed the labor-intensive process of weaving the net, but also putting it out in nature is kind of interesting because it's like, you know, we use net, you know, to trap things. And here, it's like these are just filled with branches. So I think it was kind of interesting how it's like, you know, taking away from an area, but it's like, you know, it's not a living thing. Well, I mean, the branches, but you know what I mean? It's not like an animal or something like that. So mm-hmm. I became it really interesting in how these pieces, how it looks kind of odd. But also it's interesting because it's like it's filled with all these branches. And I'm just thinking of like how we can take as much as we can get from the natural resources that we can get. Mm-hmm. When I started filling it up, I was kind of like, this is kind of ridiculous, but this is kind of outrageous, kind of funny and humorous in a way. But then in my mind, I'm like, but this is actually how, you know, it is in the world. I mean, we're, we're constantly taking and taking until we can't take no more. So it's just it, I think it was just a very interesting idea of consumption and how our impact on the environment and also kind of what a net can represent. Like, you know, maybe a net that has an open net has more honest dealings, but if a closed net maybe doesn't have so much dishonest dealings, kind of things like that. Just thinking about what the net could represent and kind of what it could mean. Um, And also when I was doing these installations, you know, I also kept in mind that I'm also impacting this environment, but I wanted to try to impact the environment as least as possible So I decided to hang this net from the trees and then kind of put all the debris that was there on the ground around it into this net. And then pretty much, you know, when I raised the net down, it returned everything back to where it was. And I know it's kind of impossible to completely not leave a mark, but I tried to leave as little mark as possible. And I feel like that's what's also very important with this. Mm -hmm. And again, it's interesting too some of the material shifts, because if we think about the the work that was you know, coming before this in terms of using foam and some of those things, like there's a piece called Preserving Beauty, which again, literally looks like rose clippings and and other kind of green kind of things uh, in resin. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have this thing kind of preserved and, and again, but it's also like an organic thing as opposed to starting out with something that's just, you know, very utilitarian or construction materials or 
or things like that. Yeah. Is that something that, again, where you kind of started looking for some of these different materials to start incorporating and, and utilizing to talk about that? Yes, I became really interested. I was thinking of ways because it's one of those things that we have flowers, you know, we always want something that's beautiful to be preserved as beautiful, you know, forever. And I started thinking about kind of this idea of how preservation and how we'd like to keep certain things around forever. But, you know, things have, you know, a lifespan, they eventually will pass. So I thought it'd be interesting if I took all these rose clippings, because my dad was trimming some rose bushes around the area. So he had all these clippings. So I was like, you know, what, what if I took as much clippings as I could, and I poured them in resin? And let's see if I could potentially keep these things looking alive, you know, much longer than their intention. So over time, it's actually interesting because on my website, you can kind of click through the images and it shows you how it's kind of aged over time. Mm -hmm. And I kind of liked this idea of this passage of time and like trying to preserve something that technically cannot be preserved because it is an organic material that eventually will break down. But adding the resin, like, could it happen? Just thinking about preservation and that's kind of what a lot of my work was doing around this time, was talking about consumption, preservation, and kind of this passage of time, and also this human impact kind of quality to it. So this work was kind of like a test. I started experimenting a little bit more with this idea of flowers and resin to try to like preserve them in a sense. So it was an interesting experiment, and I enjoyed it. And all these works that we're talking about right now was during the pandemic. So I just enjoyed it also just staying busy and kind of, you know, creating and keep creating my practice. Using as an escape. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, again, I, I feel like it's interesting because there's so many artists that I talk to, you know, who were having shows that spring and they didn't happen or they got postponed or, you know, they didn't happen at all or nobody could see it. So, you know, definitely interesting to kind of think about that. And I say interesting because I feel self-conscious saying that word, but I mean, like... I became a musician during the pandemic. So, it's, you know, very weird how all of these things kind of will you know, have us shift gears in our, in our studio practice. Absolutely. I'm especially interested in some of these pieces that start to kind of almost look like topographical maps of these paint skins and, you know, kind of like mountainous terrain. Mm -hmm. They feel like very small kind of intimate sculptures at the same time. Cause you know, they, they might be like around a foot or so, but talk to us a little bit about how these came together. Uh, were they just kind of remnants? How did it come together in the studio? Like, this is kind of like my newest body of work. I started it in 2020 and then they kind of moved and developed to where they are now. But all my work is using now mist tints and discarded house paints. Mm -hmm. And the discarded house paints I find from the local area. I ask around like, hey, who has paint? Does anyone want to get rid of it? Because there's a certain way to, to get rid of paint. You know, you're supposed to essentially let it dry out up to an inch in the can and then it can be thrown out. A lot of paint that is not water-based or acrylic-based, it has to essentially be taken to a waste facility. And a lot of people don't do that. So they're collected in basements. So I use my art as a way of kind of getting those materials, you know, give them a, a way to discard those materials. And then I'll use them in my artwork. If my artwork can't use them, if they're like an oil base or enamel that I don't use, then I'll go take them to be, you know, properly disposed of. Mm -hmm. So I use my way as a means to like help the community in a way of moving these paints. During the pandemic, I became really interested in these layered effects and thinking of canyons, thinking of mountains and things like that. So I started to kind of create these trays that would cover in plastic that then I would pour layers and layers of paint into. And I'd pour a layer and each layer would take about, you know, like two or three days to dry. Mm -hmm. So I'd pour a layer, let three days pass then pour another. So I joke around a lot now that my practice is waiting for paint to dry, <laughs> which it really is. Sure. Um, it's just me constantly waiting for paint to dry. And once these 
slabs would be a few inches thick. I like to do them about like three, anywhere between three to five inches thick. And then I'll start to carve into them. So I'll use like a sawzall or a dremel, and then I'll go in and carve sections out of it. Think of these pieces almost as being like a wall. You know, what if a wall was carved like through and like what if pieces were coming out? You know, you took a piece out of the wall, like how many different colors would be there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I became interested in this idea because all this paint is paint that is being discarded or mistints. So I'm reconceptualizing the materials kind of like through my collection and intervention and kind of salvaging and molding these layers of paints kind of into these newfound forms. And these stratifications expose kind of like the remnants and the foundations of their previous lives. Like basically all these paints have had a past story. They were meant for something else. Maybe it was someone's living room. Maybe it was someone's bedroom. You know, we don't know. But I reformulate the discarded and mistint paints into kind of a visual record of cultural history, kind of like through my material transformations. And that's by like pouring the numerous layers to create like these strata-like forms that mimic natural sedimentation. And like the new relationship of each color layer is exposed through the excavation, which is me using like the sawzall to remove things. And it creates almost like a cultural snapshot that examines kind of the development of our society through patterns of culture and identity shedding. So these reconstructed objects kind of focus on abandoned materials and really critique the excessive waste of our contemporary consumerist like ideology in a sense. So now I just think of these sculptures are just made from all this waste in our society. And I think that's interesting too. And a lot of these sculpture pieces are all paint found in Athens, Ohio, especially when we start to look at the monochromatic ones. And I, the large pieces I made come monochromatic because those were the colors that I found the most in the area. So it almost kind of gives you like, for instance, that cultural snapshot of like color in that area and what colors this community is using. Mm-hmm. So I find that quite interesting. And I just think that like, you know, it's interesting because color keeps a deep resonance and like choosing a pink color is rooted in kind of psychological effects such as mood and behavior. And I always think about how each home holds a recollection and its inhabitants basically the persona is like transcribed in the layout of the color of the walls and pretty much creating a home is creating their order of nature as a projection of their newer improved identities. And basically we're animals and, you know, us creating our home and interior spaces is the closest thing we can create on our own order of nature. So I think that is something really interesting too, and how the home, you know, is a very important place and we decorate it personalize it through color. So I kind of really just started to focus in on house before that. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a, it's a beautiful material, you know, and obviously that's, I think one of the things that's interesting about it too, is that you also kind of, you know, elevate it into this kind of desirable object from a a formal exploration as well. You know, there's all these layers, you start seeing all the way that these colors kind of interact. And, you know, I think that kind of all adds to the types of things that you're, you're interested in. And, you know, again, I don't know, I don't know how long you've spent, you know, hanging around like a Home Depot uh, paint area, but it's fascinating to see people kind of, you know, try to make those decisions relative to color. So again, it's interesting. I almost feel like there's a, there's some video component to this in the future, you know, Um, you know, having, especially having painted a house, you know, like about a year ago, you know, that was like a entire like month long project. It seemed like for me to, to paint everything, but yeah, there's such a, a weird importance to that. So again, I think that's, that's super fascinating to kind of, you know, think about, 
And I'm assuming then, you know, in terms of kind of making some of these pieces, having these kind of more layered forms and, you know, as you're waiting for paint to dry and, and working through all these and go back into carving them, this is kind of like for me in your mind then like, oh, okay, so this is, this is what my thesis is going to be like. What, what were the reactions when you kind of like show this off to your committee and, and had, had they been kind of kept up to date or was there just kind of like a day where you're just like, here you go, here's what I'm doing next year? Yeah, we kept up to date. I, for my thesis proposal review, I proposed all these ideas for this work. And I told them I, I want my whole show to be everything in there created with mist tint and discarded house paint. And, you know, it, it was received well because I started talking about like consumer identity and pretty much like I wanted to talk about archaeology. I wanted to bring geology into it. And I wanted to kind of talk about like the implications of sustainability. So I had all these different ideas that I kind of wanted to bring in to kind of tie the work together and talk with through a rich language. It was responded with really well. And I was really excited to work on the exhibition. And I think it's nice because also too, it's like everything that I was using, nothing was wasted. I kept the paint can lids. The paint can lids were a part of an installation within the thesis. All the scraps from my carvings were then put into new molds to then be carved again, even all the shavings. So I see as my practice being, you know, little to no waste, the only thing I normally throw out would be like the tin of the actual can itself. Mm -hmm. But I'm starting to think of ways of maybe compacting that and using that as a material as well. And it makes me think too, it's like, you know, no one's perfect, basically, (laughs) like we, you know, we can't have zero waste, there's always going to be like a little bit, but at least I kind of condensed mine down. So now I don't go and buy brand new paint. (laughs) I only use the mist tints and the discarded paint. So I'm using all these recycled materials. And I think that's very important to talk about sustainability as well. And one thing I liked about with my thesis show, basically, is that all the paint can lids that I had, I put on the wall in a display and there was 144 paint can lids. And that represented all the paint that was used to create all the work in the thesis exhibition. So it was almost kind of like the color palette, my color palette, and also just talked about I wanted the piece to be kind of, you know, when you walked up to it, you could see the amount of paint that was there. And without my intervention question, like, where were those would have been? Would they be in streams? Would they have been in the trash? Like, would they have been polluting an ecosystem or something like that? So I wanted this thesis to, to talk about the interior space and our consumerist society and kind of, you know, how we decorate our own spaces and things like that. But I also wanted it to be like, you know, for the viewers to think about their use of paint and like if they're doing correctly, like getting rid of it correctly, or just how we can do better when it comes to sustainability and like protecting with these harmful wastes, basically. Yeah. Well, and again, super interesting to kind of think about that relationship with, you know, the 144 different kinds of paint kind of making all these different forms, these different, you know, sometimes very sculptural, sometimes forms that we might have on the wall, but I really like that aspect of it. You know, like there's a piece like quarry, for example, mm-hmm. which kind of seems like an extension of some of the pieces that we were just talking about before with all the kind of poured elements, but then you'll come across one like Oculus where again, it kind of almost has, I'm assuming that's a remnant of like an actual, like maybe piece or something that you would kind of find discarded, but maybe, maybe talk about that piece in comparison a little bit. What I started to do is I started in this area kind of going thrift shopping and I wanted to kind of get in the head of the consumer. And I found an object that I was particularly interested in at a thrift shop and I purchased it and it was this mirror. And then I started to think about like, huh, this mirror also has this residual memory. Like it belongs somewhere. It was in a home somewhere. Now it's now I have it. 
So I was interested in what if I sculpted this mirror out of paint and resin? So I started to find these household objects and I would then start to mold them, make molds of them. And then I would run the molds in all the excess shavings from previous sculptures. And then I would add resin into it to kind of, you know, solidify to hold it all together. So this whole piece, Oculus, is made with the discarded Miss Tint House paint shavings and resin. And I became interested because I wanted my thesis show to be reminiscent of an interior space or a home. So I decided to bring in these household objects into the equation so that we can kind of get that connection with home because we have, you know, there's mirrors, there's shelves, different things that we have in our interior spaces. So I liked these because these pieces are kind of also these pieces that look like they can be found from a different time. I use the language of archaeology in my work, basically kind of stating that these pieces could have been like dug up from a previous time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting because, um, Query, what you were talking about the piece before, I wanted that to kind of represent almost like an archaeological dig, like things were being dug out from that piece. And I think it's interesting because in archaeology, like, we uncover things from past civilizations to try to understand their culture. And I think that's kind of a sense here is we're trying to understand our own consumerist ways and trying to understand our own ways and uses of color and things like that. And those are things that I'm interested in and trying to like learning about our society as a whole. And that's why I brought in those different aspects and different languages of talking about. I think some of them came out really interesting. Like I had not only just that mere Oculus, but I also had a candelabra. I had a shelf. And what's interesting is I had a lot of other framed element pieces and pieces under vitrines in the show. Mm -hmm. And all the pieces that are framed around the show are actually the pieces that got cut out of the big piece query down at the bottom. And I found it interesting that we put things behind glass that are precious to us or when they're behind glass, they become more precious objects. So I started to put those pieces in the frames because in a home, like we frame materials and things that, you know, maybe family photos or things like that. And it was kind of interesting how I was taking these pieces of consumerism, basically, and then framing them and putting them on the wall. Mm -hmm. And it was almost kind of a sense like me selling back consumerism, like, <laughs> here's the waste that you just made, but here you go. Now you get an artwork. So I found I found that kind of humorous in a way, but also very interesting in a sense. And that's kind of what happens with also the pieces that are on the pedestals. I wanted them to look like they were cut out of the ground and they're parts of these like archaeological objects that we're kind of exploring and trying to understand. And everything's 100% made out of paint. So it has so much rich history to it because these paints have been from all around this area that I'm from. Yeah, I, I really like the different approaches, you know, like there's that other one. And again, I don't know if you were referring to this one but reclaimed waste mm -hmm. the all the kind of like remnants of what i'm assuming are like the bottoms of the the paint you know kind of pulled out of the can or you know it kind of has a different variation than say you know the one that you can kind of see all the layers you know like almost as if it was like excavating soil you know like again there's always like a different look to it mm -hmm. you know so you start seeing all of these sitting on on shelves and reclaimed waste and you start seeing them kind of almost I don't know. It's weird. They start looking almost like cakes in some ways too, you know, maybe some interesting looking cakes, but like they kind of have, you know, like almost like that sensation of something that's like textural. You want to carve into them, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> don't know if people have talked to you about how they remind you of cakes before, but. <laughs> oh, they have. People have mentioned, they're like, that looks tasty. I'm like, well, don't eat it because it's not cake. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what I found about interesting with this piece in particular was um, I thought it definitely kind of 
had an interesting conversation on the wall with all the paint can lids. So basically what it is, is you are correct. It, these pieces are the ones that when I find discarded paint for someone's basement, the paint will solidify in the can and I'll just cut the can out or cut the piece out of the can. And this is how they, this is how they are. Mm -hmm. So I found it interesting because it was just like these found wasted materials and that are dried out. So I put them on the shelves for them, for the viewers to look at. But what's so interesting is they have such rich textures and they're just so visually interesting. And it's just like, you know, kind of goes with the whole idea, like nothing is wasted from my practice. So like these things I found, I was, I started to carve into a few, but then I started to like leave them how they are and how I found them. Cause I thought there was a real beauty to them and how like, you know, I've always liked the material to also kind of speak for itself or allow the material to do its own thing. And I feel like this is that body of work or this piece is that work that I kind of just let it do its thing and just kind of pulled them out as I found them and then placed them and just, you get to kind of really look at the beauty of them as, as they solidified. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's super interesting still about the work is that again, there's still this really nice formal quality to them. Again, like some weird, I don't know, home interior art that you would buy. I, again, I don't know that Hobby Lobby is going to pick these up, um, but especially noticing even with some of the other ones that are kind of like those excavated poured pieces, like blue China, for example, where we've got it kind of like set up on that wall. I mean, like, again, it makes such like a nice impact in terms of a, a beautiful formal object, but I like that you also have that side of it then too, that it's something that is, you know, consumer based. It's something that's tied to identity and the way that people, again, kind of chart their lives, like you said, in, in their homes, almost as a way to kind of talk about themselves or, you know, almost to kind of like talk about what, what values they have almost. And so again, there's something really nice about that also being tied up in a really kind of beautiful, inviting, formal kind of package. Absolutely. And one thing that's interesting with those pieces like Blue China is that, you know, I get all the time when someone comes into like my studio or in a gallery, they'd be like, oh, what is this? Like wood? Is it made out of this? You know, no one quite knows what the material is unless you see the label. Mm -hmm. So with these pieces, I thought it was really interesting to paint the background of the piece, like Blue China, for instance, the same blue that's in the piece, I painted the wall that it hangs on. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting to show the previous intention of paint, like paints meant to paint walls, and then kind of this new intention that I did through my intervention of the work, which is making it sculptural, and it hangs on top. And I think it really helps make that connection that this is paint by having that painted wall element. And I did that for, I believe I had five of those larger areas in painted wall elements. I had a blue one, a red one, a purple one, a pink one, um, one that was all neutral tones, and then a green one. And those all represented the most colors that I found in the Athens, Ohio region. So I had like all the green ones, they're all monochromatic except for the neutral tones. But I just found it interesting that those were the colors that I had the most or that I gathered the most from the community. So I decided to make those the largest sculptures in the show and also had the painted wall elements with them as well. Kind of in, in wrapping this experience then, are you kind of then kind of flooded with all these different ideas and, and things that you want to keep making? And I'm assuming just because, again, some time has passed, but I would imagine there's been all sorts of things that you've been interested in and kind of continuing to explore since the thesis. Absolutely. I definitely enjoy my molded pieces like the mirror oculus. I want to start to do that more where I'm finding more household objects and making a mold out of them and then running them in resin in the Miss Tint house paint. I think that's another project I want to kind of pursue. I only made four for this exhibition, so I want to kind of push into those a little bit more. And I would love to do this project in a different area, like, you know, basically collect house paints 
and mold, you know, make more pieces. Because I feel like this piece, this show kind of represents the Athens, Ohio area. So I wonder if I was to move or go somewhere else or do a residency and then collect paints from that area and to make similar work to see how there's a connection between maybe the community here versus the community somewhere else. So I'm not done with this work at all. I think there's a lot of things for me to do and pursue. I have so many ideas kind of in my head that I haven't fully, <laughs> I don't have them fully fleshed out yet, but I definitely want to make more installation based works. Like I loved the paint can lid wall and I love the big giant floor piece. So I kind of want to work with scale and definitely find other modes in which I could hang and display these works. One piece in particular I would love is that if I could find somehow like an abandoned building that they're going to break or knock down or someone's going to renovate a house and knock a wall down, I'd love to go in and like carve a wall to see like how many times that wall has been painted or to do some kind of carving into a wall itself versus instead of just doing a carving on a slab of paint. I think that could be something interesting. It's one of those things that I definitely would like to do and just to see how my work kind of lives in that sense. Instead of carving these slabs that mimic the wall, like what if I actually carve a wall? So I think that would be something interesting to kind of visit. Absolutely. And are you kind of busy planning out exhibitions and, and things like that coming up in the in the near future? Or what's what's going on now that you're, again, going to be graduating, I guess, this, this coming week? So um, right now, there's not too many things on the books. I am doing a residency in May at um, Hambridge Studio at Ruby Gap, Georgia. So I'll be going down and doing a two-week residency there. And while I'm down there, I'm going to go home for a little bit. I'm originally from Florida. So mm -hmm. I'm going to continue the drive and spend about a week back home and then come back up here and figure everything else out. And I recently just accepted a teaching position at Meredith College in um, Raleigh, North Carolina. So it looks like I will be moving there to kind of continue my practice and also to work as a assistant professor and gallery director for them. So I'm really excited for that amazing opportunity to continue to work in academia and also to kind of pursue my artist practice. Excellent. Congratulations on that. Again, it's a nice uh, way to wrap up your experience as you're you're moving off. You know, you got something to kind of continue to build that kind of momentum like you've been doing. So again, it's really interesting to kind of see you know, that trajectory and especially all the different processes and materials. And, you know, again, it'll be exciting to see, you know, what comes after that, or even just moving, like, you know, you're talking about the kind of work that might come out of that. I would imagine there are going to be some new opportunities and, and ways to kind of explore in this new environment. So that's going to be super exciting. Absolutely. I definitely say my work does change, of course, being in a different surrounding environment. That's one thing I feel like I've always loved about artist residencies. It's just being immersed in that artist community that I not normally have access to. Mm -hmm. And I always look forward to residencies. And I always try to do a residency one, at least one a year during the summertime. And I always love the process. But now moving to a new location, I'm very excited for like, you know, meeting all the different artists in that area and making another artist community. Mm -hmm kind of seeing how the work changes there through, you know, seeing other people's work and the communications and the conversations that I will have with others. So it's a really exciting time. It's a obviously a nerve wracking time because, you know, moving and packing up, going somewhere different, of course, you know, it's no small task, but I'm actually really excited about it and excited to see, you know, what happens, what the future holds. Yeah, absolutely. Super exciting stuff. Yeah, I, I want to just, again, thank you so much for, for applying and, and sharing your work. Obviously, congratulations on, uh, you know, wrapping up that degree and all your success. Remind everybody, where can they where can they stay up to date to, to check out your work and, and to see what the latest is? So, yeah, people can find my work at Todd.com. 
T-A-A-H-D.com. And also I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram and my Instagram handle is Todd as well. It's T-A-A-H-D. And I try to post regularly on there about upcoming shows, exhibitions, if I have work for sale, things like that. But you can always send me a message on Instagram or send me a, a message to my website and I can always get back to you guys. So yeah. Awesome. Well, again, I hope people reach out, you know, super exciting work. And again, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Todd for joining me. You can check out more of his work by checking out his website, TAAHD.com. And of course, follow him on Instagram as well. You can find both of those links on Studio Break. Once again, say hello on Instagram, see some work, shoot a message, say hello. I do want to thank Kendra Balgren of James May Gallery for being our juror last year and selecting Todd's work. Once again, I do want to note to any interested students out there, we're currently accepting applications through May 15th for our annual competition. I will be selecting five undergraduate and five graduate students to feature their work on Studio Break. That's open to any currently enrolled or recently graduated BA, BFA, or MA, MFA candidates. You will be featured on an upcoming episode of Studio Break, and I'll be curating a two-person show from the competition, so super excited about that. And I've always had interesting relationships with graduate students when I was an undergrad and vice versa, so the idea is to have one undergrad and one grad paired up and showing in the new alt space that'll be opening up this year for the Studio Break Alt Gallery, so super excited about that. If you're interested in applying, head on over to studiobreak.com, look for that competition tab, and your application is super easy. You submit a small fee, you send an email with all of your information, and you are done. It's always great featuring young emerging artists, and of course, if you know any, please help spread the word, share with your friends, students, etc. We really appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to studiobreak.com. We've got plenty more there, 12 seasons of episodes beautifully archived you can listen right there on studiobreak.com and of course you can always subscribe to the podcast on spotify or apple and i especially love spotify because they preview some of the artwork for the episodes coming up so again great place to check it out you can also earn some karma points by spreading the word giving us a good review or sharing this content giving us a shout out on instagram twitter wherever you want to once again you can like our facebook page you can find us on twitter at studio break and of course on instagram at studio underscore break always great hearing from listeners there music for today's episode is by golden shadow which features myself on guitar ben cohan on drums and vocals brett beery on bass vocals and production we just put out a brand new ep called lawn dreams with five songs you can listen to that on Bandcamp, and of course you can find a link for that by following us on instagram so please do that that's at golden shadow band just find a link in the bio you can also find us on instagram as well and ben cohan studio you can see some of his paintings there you can check out brett beery's albums at Brett Beery on Instagram. And of course, be sure to give me a follow at David Linaway. And of course, you can see some of my work that's been integrated with the Studio Break website. So please check that out. And of course, follow me at David Linaway everywhere. And I think we made it to the end of today's episode. Really hope that you enjoyed it. It's really fun to get back podcasting. And of course, love hearing from listeners. So if you enjoyed today's episode or a recent episode, please give us a shout out on Instagram. Until then, we'll talk to you real soon.